4: In
1: three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options.
3: It's amazing how many unintelligent people. look they're absolutely What is the matter with these people? We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we
1: just talk? Call 0818 96
3: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96, 96.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
3: The lines are live Let's kickstart the conversation This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
1: On Cork's 96fm
5: Lads are tell me
3: there, uh, there's
5: traffic up the airport hill uh, I'm told Very, very busy out there this morning What that's caused by, one doesn't know But very, very busy so let us know if you you can tell the cause of it do 083 396 96 96 when it is safe to do so yesterday talking to uh, the child child care provider sector again about the lack of funding and the fact that they now think over 250 child care providers will close their door it's not might, will close their doors between now and the end of 2023 because of the lack of funding from government. Well, on the one hand government says it's given out 217 million which sounds like huge money but these providers say it's not as simple as that. We're not getting any of that and we can't afford to stay open. Some of them have come forward to us now after that discussion and wanted to tell us more about their situation. So we would go to that in a little while and if you're someone who has a e, uh, hoping for childcare, hoping to get into childcare over the next six months or twelve months, you'll be interested, particularly interested. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six is the number. But first of all, the story that dominates uh, the political news of the day: two Green Party TDs suspended for voting against the government on a maternity hospital motion. It was a Sinn Fein motion on the national. Maternity Hospital and two Green Party TDs, Nasa Horrigan, who's been on this show a few times, talking about Owen O'Curra, and Patrick Costello. They have now been suspended from the Green Party. What does it actually mean? Does it actually mean anything at all? Sean Defoe, political correspondent, joins me. It's just an exercise, isn't it, Sean? It doesn't put the government under any pressure, does it? Good morning.
6: Uh, Morning. I think it could well because the government's majority is now the very barest it could be. 80 is a dull majority. And with the two of them being suspended, the government has exactly 80 votes now. So for the next six months up to and including the budget. So that's an awful lot of votes to try and get by, particularly if you have to bring in anything contentious where you literally cannot afford to lose a single government TD over any any issue. Now, obviously, in reality, a lot of the time they get independents and others to weigh in. Behind Mm -hmm. some of them, they didn't get any of those votes. Last night, um, but if there is something particularly contentious, and we can never really tell what is going to come up in a, the span of six months of a dull term, then the government could well be in a very, very tricky position yeah. after this. All right,
5: but deputies Horrigan and Costello can just as easily vote with the government anyway. On other, they things. can, but
6: I mean, they, 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 Like, I wouldn't be massively surprised if they, if they didn't, if they, right. their future lies fully in the Green Party, you know, I question whether it does or not, and as a this is her second time voting against the whip, her second time losing the whip, Patrick Costello has literally taken a high court case uh, against the government when it comes to CETA in order to make sure that a vote, and that doesn't go ahead, so they, they have form in being dissenting voices and mm. you do wonder with the way that the Green Party vote is going at the moment, would they be better served as independent candidates in their, their constituencies next time out, now, now look that's getting way ahead of ourselves it is, here it is. And as but you say, So what could, does it mean for 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 the benefit of
5: listeners who, who don't understand the term, in plain man's English, what does it mean to lose the whip?
6: So to lose the party whip, essentially, you are out of the party in terms of a dual grouping for the, the span of six months. So you are are effectively not a member of the parliamentary party and, and the kind of benefits that come with that. You don't get speaking time, for example, in the party groupings for six months. So you are effectively sidelined. You're sort of shunned over to the side as a, as a personal punishment, I suppose, for these TDs. Now, often it's led to other things. It's led to people leaving the parties, etc. But in terms of practical terms, if that's where they'll be. They'll be in this sort of political purgatory for the next six months going about their business, but without the stamp of the Green Party on them. And then of course, for the government itself, it means that they they can't 100% rely on their votes and that they will be down to basically a bare majority for
5: mm. the next six months. So they've stood on with their principles, and they've voted with their principles, which is what a lot of their electorate would have wanted them to do. Do. But it's a motion that it doesn't mean anything. It isn't going to go anywhere, is it, Sean? This motion doesn't force the government to do anything, does it?
6: No, and I think this is something that people quite often understand, uh, misunderstand. And the politicians uh, willfully make people misunderstand about doll motions. Doll motions have absolutely no legal standing at all. They're entirely symbolic. They, uh, you know, people say, "Oh well, the doll has voted to do this," and yes, and t- technically, the vote has voted in support of. That building the National Maternity Hospital on public land. But the government doesn't have to do anything on the back of that. They're not beholden uh, to the motion. It is a purely symbolic thing. So, no, it isn't going to go anywhere because the Cabinet has made their decision on the National Maternity Hospital. They're going to build it at Ellen Park. They're going to proceed with the deal that's proved so controversial without any changes for the last uh, two weeks. Uh, and while you will hear plenty of TDs saying today, well, the Dáil has voted to do this. Yeah, the Doll has kind of voted to do this, but it doesn't have any legal weight.
5: Yeah, which you kind of brings us back to why would you do that to yourself? Cast yourself to the, to the wilderness for six months for something that can't make any changes anyway. It's just a bit of a mystery of how
6: politics works. It's the point of principle, I suppose, that they had. They both had very deep concerns about this particular deal. They knew it was going to be a big issue for them on the doors in in the next election or certainly feel that it will be in the next election. And quite often when they do vote with these motions, it is on that point of principle. They have very, very deep and fundamental concerns with it and felt they couldn't in good conscience Uh, vote along or just abstain on something that they think is so important for the future of women's health care in Ireland. And so they will now have to face the consequences Mm -hmm. of that. There are, of course, other TDs in government who have had concerns but maybe had them a bit assuaged over the last two weeks or thought this isn't the hill to die on at this particular time because it won't make the difference. Mm -hmm. But for NASA and for Patrick, they've obviously made a a different calculation.
5: Possibly they're thinking about facing their female constituents at, at an election uh, having voted against their their concerns, you know, what there is there is that. Sean, thank you very much, Sean Defoe, political correspondent. So it happened; they voted against it. It it did change probably changed nothing, but they've stood by their principles. And already, I can hear people composing messages to me at ninety six, ninety six, saying, "PJ, they stood by their principles. It's a pity more politicians." Wouldn't do that. Let's get a local green voice, Councillor Colette Finn. Colette, w- what would you have done last night? Good morning.
7: Jay, um, yeah, very tough, very tough decision. I mean, this isn't Green Party policy. We want to see a separation of church and state. Um, so, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision, to be honest. Um, I mean, on Cork City Council, we start meetings with a prayer. Uh, And I've raised this as, you know, is it appropriate in 2022? But the majority of councillors uh, on Cork City Council want it that way. And, you know, I accept that. So uh, this isn't Green Party policy, but we are in a government. Uh, We agreed a programme for government. And, you know, the areas of common ground that we have, we want to push forward
5: with Mm -hmm. those. So you'd say you wouldn't have liked to have made that choice yourself last night?
7: No, I wouldn't, no.
5: Do you think they were right to stand by the principles that they hold so dear?
7: I think everybody has to do what they, they feel they have to do. At the end of the day, you have to live live with yourself. And from a mental health pr- perspective, you have to do what you think is the right thing to do. Um, so I, I mean, I wouldn't uh, criticise them for that. But, I mean, it is, it is it is difficult for all of the parliamentary party because this isn't Green Party policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we ha- are committed to... Um, seeing through the programme for government and, um, you know, that's what you have to do in these circumstances.
5: Yeah. What are your own feelings on the maternity hospital issue, Gillette?
7: I think that uh, the church and state need to separate uh, when it comes to public services. Uh, we should have a secular state. We shouldn't have, I mean, in the past, uh, the religious um did pick up the pieces from the point of view of providing services and I used to work in the Mercy Hospital myself uh, and I know how much uh, the nuns uh, gave to the Irish people over time. But I think we need to grow up and uh, separate from religious orders. We have a multicultural society with people who, are, who have religion, a different religion, with people with no religion. So I think yeah. our public services should be provided on a secular basis and there should be any underlying religion uh, within that within that domain
5: and we've been told until he was blue in the face by the Taoiseach and others over the last week the nuns are gone they have no influence those days are gone y- do you buy that
7: well i mean the christian right? Uh, don't uh, go around in in habits these days uh, but as we've seen from the um, news in america and, um, you know, when, when people feel they have a direct line to God, uh, they act in particular ways that I don't agree with. And um, so I think we have to be conscious of that. Um, and I think we have to be, and we had, we had the debate in relation to repealing the Eighth Amendment. I was 24 when that was passed. I voted against it. And um, I felt that it completely took agency away from women and I fought against it all of my life. Um, so you know, I think we need to be grown ups about this, and we need to understand the extent the, the extent to which this has the effect that this has on women and on women's health. Um, and you know, uh, I, I'm sorry that it came to this. Um, mm-hmm. This project was started what was it, 2013? You know, it's so far down the road, uh, it's very difficult to pull back. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think having had this, having had this controversy. For any new projects, there needs to be a complete separation and we need to implement soldier care where we have a fully functioning public health care service and not, you know, the bit bit of uh, public and bit of private and, and, you know, you basically have to go the route of the private uh, system because the public system is so inadequate. We need to provide a proper public health service, which is secular. Uh, which is based on medical need or not on your ability to pay.
3: Okay. Do you
5: hope, as I think many women do, Colette, certainly some women of my own acquaintance do, that do you hope that with this gone through now and gone through it will be, that we won't be sitting on programs like this in 10 years' time wondering what on earth did we agree to?
7: Well, I mean, I don't think the patriarchy goes away quietly. So I think this is a constant battle um, and I think uh, promises have been made in relation to this hospital that it won't be influenced um, by the Catholic Church. Let's hold them to account on that.
5: Thank you, Councillor Colette Finn. Uh, 0818 96, 96, 96 Just on the point of principle for a politician, and that is why NASA Hurrigan and Patrick Costello voted last night as they voted. The motion achieves nothing. And they knew the consequences of voting with the motion. They knew it would achieve nothing, but they also knew that they'd end up kicked to the sideline for it. But on a point of principle, their own principle, they went with that and they took the risk. What would you do in the same situation? You know how you feel. You know where you stand. But you also know that there are consequences for your vote and even that vote has no effect. What have they done? What have they done? Have, have they gone up or down in estimation? We know how forthright Nasa Harrigan can be on an issue. She's been a regular guest on the opinion line with regard to Owen for example. And we know how forthright and outspoken she can be. So she went in there last night and stood for her principles. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Child care providers, we, we alerted, we were alerted yet again to the crisis in child care funding yesterday on the programme and after that with a few child care providers who wanted to give us their personal stories of what it's like to be trying to do this job with no money. That's next.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's
3: 96FM.
5: The government make a lot of noise about having put 217 million euro aside for childcare and preschool and all of that. 217 million is an awful lot of money. So why, in that case, are nearly 260 Childcare providers up and down the country warning us that they'll have to close their doors before the end end of 2023 because there's no funding there. It's confusing. Let's try to sort it out. Let's try to talk to someone who's actually in that sector. Uh, Siobhan O'Connor runs Siobhan's Montessori School in Moorn Good morning, Siobhan.
8: Hi PJ, how are you?
5: Good, good to have you with us on the opinion line. So uh, there's a lot of money out there, but you're not getting any of it. Explain.
8: No, um, now the core funding, first off, it's it's brilliant, it's a great step forward in the childcare sector. However, um, when it came about reading the, the fine lines, the ECC sector, which would be me, a sectional uh, preschool that's open three hours a day, um, we're kind of left in the dark Um, I'm actually at a loss with this core funding coming in Um, it's a case of I went back to college a few years ago to do the the higher level to claim the higher capitation for the children and that now has been taken and put into the core funding and the non-contact payment that we all depend on for the summer months was also taken and put into the core funding but because that's now in the core funding I'm actually at a loss and what they're saying is no preschool will actually be at a loss that they'll bring our money up to where we were this year or last year. Hmm. But with inflation and everything, that's not going to cut. That's not going to cut at all at all.
5: So you're operating at a loss because of the way core funding operates?
8: Yeah. Yeah. ECC sector is, it's the one that's been left out.
5: That's not economically viable, no?
8: No, no. Like, at, the way it is at the moment, um, I rarely take a wage for myself. Um, I put whatever bit of money comes into the, into my school, I put it back into the school um, to ensure that there's good equipment and good quality there for the kids. Um, I don't ask parents for anything. We're not allowed to ask parents for anything anyway, but I never did. Um, and I put extras into the kids by doing graduation parties, Christmas parties, um, ice cream parties. All that, that all comes out of my own pocket. Um, but the way this core funding is happening now, things like that will have to be paired back. Because I can't financially afford to keep doing things like that.
5: Yeah, And you're forward. not actually allowed to take a top-up from the parents?
8: No, no, we're not allowed to ask for any additional fees from the parents. My funding
5: is from the government only. Right. So and if, that's been back down for, to before for, fifty. Right. So if for argument's sake, and I'm just plucking figures out of the air now, if for argument's sake you get forty Euros a morning for little Johnny and, and the real cost is fifty, you're not allowed to ask Mummy for a tenner. You just can't. No,
8: no, Even though she Johnny might knows.
5: want she might be per- perfectly willing to give it to you.
8: No. No, we're not allowed. We actually have to sign documents the parents to sign documents at start of the year, um, saying that they haven't been asked for additional fees and anything like that.
5: So yeah. what what are you gonna do, Siobhan? You're being asked to operate a business at a loss all year round. How are you gonna how are you gonna survive?
8: I actually don't know. Um the year coming forward I'm I'm full life, um, children fill all places and i'll I'll go ahead next year and it's it's really is a case of year by year for me Mm. and it's it's just heartbreaking because i've pumped in so much into this business to build it off the ground and then for this to come along and to be and like the federal or the the core funding it is great we're not complaining in that we just need to be included we need fairness yeah. that like Elaine Dunn from the Federation of um, Child Care she met with um, the Minister uh, for Children, um, Mr. O'Gorman, yeah. and gave him the service, gave him the information about the ECC sector and how it's not working for us and it's just falling on their fears and they need to start listening now to us because they will be facing into a crisis next year if the minimum of 260 mm. uh, preschools start closing
5: like you're, f- you're full for September and, and you're going yeah. to honour that arrangement, you're going to provide oh, the will. service, but, but you're saying to me I think Siobhan, you personally you won't have a salary out of that no. 12 months
8: No, because I have uh, two staff members as well that I need to, to pay out for um, I rent I rent the community centre down here um, so that on top of all the other bills and as we know, the, the rise in everything, every bill has gone up Yeah and they're just not, they're not opening their ears or their eyes to see how leaving us at the bare minimum is not going to work. They have to they have to actually start listening and seeing. They're hearing it from the ground, but they're just ignoring us and they need to start listening.
5: Why do you bother going on, Siobhan? Is it a loyalty to the parents who've booked places with you? Um,
8: I suppose I just, I love it. I just love. I I love my job. I love um, coming in here every morning. I'm very very lucky. I have um, fantastic staff. I have wonderful parents. They're very supportive. Um, the last couple of years was hard on everyone, but my God, I couldn't say anything bad about any parent down here. Everyone stuck to the rules and regulations and were so supportive throughout. Um, and I suppose I I just I I just feel I couldn't. I couldn't walk away. I, I'll go as far as I can. But I'm just hoping that, that they will start listening and that they'll start putting something in place for the, the preschools of DCC sector only because like this core funding is meant to increase wages for staff and um, encourage other people to come into childcare. Nobody wants to come into childcare anymore because it's so badly paid. And yeah. this um, funding won't allow me to increase my girls' wages even yeah. more because it's
5: not there. I plucked a figure out of my head there a while ago, and I was way, way west of it. Uh, Avril Sheehan, thanks, just told Fergal it's for chi- per child twelve ninety for three hours.
9: Yeah.
5: So that yeah. Would, that would that, w- that was that hardly buy you lunch.
8: No. No, it's just, it's not viable. It needs to, something needs to be done because they are facing into another major crisis next year if if they don't start listening. The evidence has been put to them and they're just not, they're just not listening.
5: Do Do you fear that people like you, Siobhan, will close the doors and will close the doors in droves and then some bright spark will come to cabinet some Tuesday morning and goes, here, lads, we have a problem with childcare. They're all closing. I wonder
3: why.
8: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I can see definitely a lot of places closing next year and will never again open their doors, no matter what they come back with. It'll be too late.
5: Wow. Okay, Siobhan, thank you very much. And fair play to you to keep going. At the, at a loss because purely because you love your job and you love the people that you work with and for that, Siobhan O'Connor has Siobhan's Montessori School in Moine Abbey, and I, I think for parents who might be able to afford the extra couple of quid, you know, to not be allowed give that extra couple of quid, you know. Now, Neve Neve McDonald, hi Neve, how are you?
4: Hi, good morning. Good.
5: You are working for. Four sixty-three per hour. Go way out of
4: that. Yes, I am indeed, and sometimes less because we go without salaries at times to to provide a quality service and to pay our staff. But if I can just give you a little bit rough down, I have a few pointers here that I want to get through, want to get across to you. So when I break down my salary it is for sixty-three per hour so the core funding will increase that by 770 per child per month for us but when you break that 770 down per month it will um work out at 180 1 euro 80 cents per child per week for 15 hours an increase of and when you break that down it works out at um an increase of 12 cents per hour per child for the 15 hours mm-hmm. <laughs> um wow. At this 12 cents per hour, we have to give the, our staff a living wage, which is laughable, really, because there's all talk about living wages now, but we don't get it. My staff and my business partner actually go without salaries at Christmas
2: in June, so we can afford to pay our staff and also provide a, a quality service. Um, our rent is increasing by €400 Euro this year. Um, which is going to cripple us completely. Utilities have all increased. Like our last gas bill was about €500. Euro. This one came in there about two weeks ago and it's 751 Art and craft materials are all increasing. Like we provide parties for children on their birthdays and everything. Now sick pay is in, so we have to pay our staff if they're sick. We have to pay them sick pay, sick pay. But we also have to find the money to pay, to pay relief staff for the days that they
4: our, our
2: ordinary staff are out sick. And um, and now they're talking about pensions, which is absolutely terrifying me because I don't know how we'll survive. Um, the core funding, no contracts have been signed for the core funding. Nobody has seen a contract for the core funding as yet. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I know that the government say that we are the most well provided out of all the schemes which is probably true in fairness because we get the the ECCE get the most money but like one cap doesn't fit all if you know what I mean like some people might have a premises beside their home that is theirs and they have no outstanding balances on we rent rooms so people who rent are in a different position uh, to people who own their premises if you know what I mean I
5: do of course
2: and with this core funding they want us to freeze our fees as well but we haven't increased our fees since 2016 so the rate of inflation like it's not it's not viable for us i don't i can't see us surviving next year do you know what i mean i can see us surviving maybe for half of the year if things aren't done
5: and are you booked up for september now,
2: we are we're full for september we're full with the waiting list
5: right how many do you take
2: We can take 22, but our room is enormous. Like we could take more, but we're not allowed under the contract from the government. We're not allowed to take any more than 22 children. Why not? We're just not allowed. Just ratios, um, adult to child ratios. We're just not allowed. I
5: see a certain amount of staff for a certain amount of
2: kids. Yeah, we're not allowed. We're not allowed to take any registration fees, or we're not allowed to take any donations or anything like that to help us get through. Yeah, you know, this this
5: is what kills me, Neve, and look. The core funding is very small, as you and Siobhan pointed it out. But there are many parents, I suspect, who would be more than willing to make a small contribution, but they're just not allowed.
2: Yeah, they're not. We're not allowed to ask for anything. Yeah, it's t- it's just horrendous, and I think the stress levels. Are through the roof, I just wait, can't wait for this year to be finished. To be fair, I just need to sit down, breathe, and try and work out how we're going to survive in, from September on. Like the rent alone and the utility bills alone are going to really have us in big trouble. So, and we don't have the option to, to do extra hours or anything because we wouldn't have the facilities for that, if you know what I mean.
5: I do, and and when you hear the government. Uh, Rodrigo Gorman, the minister involved, when you hear him touting 217 million euro like a, like a victory, what do you think?
2: I think it's laughable because most of that funding is going to the people that are sitting behind desks and making these rules. Do you know what I mean? It's the people who are, are like pubal, posta, and all. They're the ones that are going to be getting the majority of that funding, not us, not the providers. And I think the government should actually come to the people on the ground. They could, they should come and talk to people, see the services, see the quality that were that we're giving, see what we do for the money that we receive. But they don't. Like I've I've invited Roderick O'Gorman to our service, but he hasn't. He hasn't even responded to that. Yeah. How... So. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know where childcare is going to go. I know they want a degree led sector, but it, that in itself is another issue because you have people coming out of college. And I've worked with people who have just come out of college with level seven, level sevens and eights. And they don't know what they're doing. It's different in a classroom. They, like you have to train them in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. I think experience is key. Like I've been working in the sector for nearly 20 years. And this this year only for the UWSS, I think we would have gone under. That helped us this year uh, enormously. And but if, like, I don't know how we're going to
5: survive if two hundred and sixty businesses go out of business by the end of twenty twenty three. Where will all those children go when their parents are trying to work?
2: but you see this the government aren't listening to us that's the problem the government will not listen to us they they don't believe us they say there is no evidence to show this all you have to do is go on to child care provider pages on facebook and you can see the amount of services that are selling equipment like and we have group we've got whatsapp groups throughout the country going and they're all, like, people are saying they're closing, they're closing, they're closing. So we have the evidence to say that they are closing. But governments are
5: t- in denial for some reason. I don't know why. If Roderick O'Gorman was to walk in at the door of your centre now, would you have books you can show him and say, there yeah. you go, Minister, there are my finances. You live yeah. with that.
2: But, like, they ask for they ask for so much information, but they have all the
5: information. Oh. They
2: have all the information because we we have to fill in forms and to our registration, so they know exactly what our services are.
5: So they know, just, yeah, they I know so. that they're funding. What you're saying here is, and it's your view, I guess. They mm. know that the level of funding that they give you and they they give Siobhan, they know it's unsustainable.
2: Absolutely, I don't know how the government can expect us to freeze our fees when inflation is rising at such a rapid rate, I don't know how they expect us to survive. Sometimes I think they just have it in for the ECC and the session of services and they want to get rid of us. That's how it feels to me, that they're doing everything in their power to make us close. I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't understand why they will not help us.
5: Same question to you as I put to Siobhan. Why do you, why do you keep going on with this? Why do you keep doing it?
2: Look, my love is with children. I've always worked with children throughout my adult life. Always. I was always a very sporty person. I've, I've coached football teams. I've, I've taught baton twirling. I'm a baton twirling coach. I've, I just, I've worked with kids all my life. If I wasn't working with children, I was minding children. I was the same as a young child. My mother used to say, you were the same as a young child. You always had a pram. (laughs) Always. But, um, it's just the love, the joy that you get from children. You can't get from anywhere else. From anything else in my opinion. Like they make you laugh. Now they can make you cry, but they can make you laugh most times. Yeah. I just love what I do, but I just can't see it's been it's been sustainable for me or my yeah. business partner. I don't know where we're going to go. Yeah.
5: And if you were taken in under the wing of the Department of Education and treated as the first rung on the education ladder, it would solve it all, wouldn't it?
2: The would. We can't even use the board of education's insurance companies. Like insurance is crippling what? us as well at the moment. No, we can't. We have to source our own insurance. We're not allowed, even though we're in, we're inspected by the Department of Education. But we can't. We don't get the facilities, and we don't get the same, the same services as, as schools do. So, and I put this in writing as well, asking, please, can we avail of the Department of Education's insurance? No, we can't. It's just not allowed.
5: Because obviously but, there's an, a, a, an insurance company or companies out there that, that have done deals with the department for packages, when you're not yeah. entitled to those
2: packages. No, we're not entitled to anything. We don't get the same resources. The, the Board of Education don't even, um, or the Department of Education don't even see us as educators. Like, I I, I, I upskill every year. I do that every year. I do... I, it, do my first aid every second year I'm a first aid responder as is Louise because we have to have a, resp- a first aid responder mm. on premises at all time so that's all comes out of our pocket too you get a grant for one first aid responder course and no more from the county Childcare care committee there's one grant so you get it once for one person not for many people so anything else that you pay for yourself and that could be anything up to 275 per person
5: Sounds like you're at the end of your tether.
2: Yeah, I am a little bit. I am a little bit. But I'm smiling because we're nearly at the end of June. <laughs> but um, it's, like, it's looking like we'll have to take summer jobs and we'll have to go on and take other jobs just to sustain our own family life and to look after our own homes. Yeah,
5: I am just going to... I forgot about that. Like, you and, and Siobhan, but you're also trying to run a home on, on, mm-hmm. on an income of four sixty three per hour.
2: Yeah. It's just, like, my only for my husband who actually helps me out, helps me, helps provide for me. And if I was short money for staff, we would have been closed a long time
5: ago. Hold on, your husband is helping to subsidise your staff wages?
2: Yeah, yeah, at times.
5: At times. And this is a government-backed business, my God.
2: Yeah, it's just horrendous, horrendous. And the stress levels, I've never known so many um, service providers being stressed and anxious. It's just a terrible time for us. It really is, and I just uh, I don't know about full day care. I can only imagine their cost, but this core funding is looking much better for them than it is for us. Okay. Which is great for them, and I wouldn't take it away for them, from them. It's great, but sometimes I think that it's always for, for um, families that are putting children into childcare that have to for work, for work purposes. And I agree that they, the families have to be looked at because it is so expensive. But I also think that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And they have to look after people on the ground.
5: Okay. Niamh? You told the lads this was your first radio interview and you were nervous. I am very Uh, nervous. I I suspect you'll be doing more because you've been absolutely brilliant and well done. Oh,
2: thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us.
5: Cheers. Cheers. That's Neve MacDonald and before her, Siobhan O'Connor, two people trying to provide childcare. Two of the 260 that are warning they'll just have to close their doors uh, if this funding model continues. Can anybody get their heads around that? Anybody? 0818 96 96 96.
3: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM
1: With the Cork City Marathon Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
6: Every year you join us to support a very worthy cause.
1: And each time we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If I'll be
6: there. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services
3: And I'll be there And
1: once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary
3: Include us in your diary I'll
1: be there Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise
6: You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes I'll be
1: everything you want to I'll be there The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services,
5: May 26-28. Only on Cork 96FM. In the papers this morning, there's quite a lot of talk about the cost of working from home and the savings, supposedly, to someone for working from home. The Independent twists it another way around and says that the taxpayer's losing out because of people working from home. But Mary, you've got a problem with the government saying that people save money by working from home good morning
10: well no it was just a comment yesterday that you know our heating bills and things like that were offset by the fact that you know we were saving on the commute time Mm. to and from work Um, but there's very few people I I can't I can think of very very few professions and they would all be in the self-employed kind of state where you could monetize your commute time
9: yeah yeah.
10: Like you know, yes, you might save you might save a full day in commuting, yeah. but your employer isn't paying you for that. Yeah. There's very few hourly rate jobs out there in employment. Even I'm sure that the um, the survey itself commissioned by the government was probably done by some daily rate contractor contracted by one of the big consulting firms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, the, like for example you know, if you if you were working from home and could broadcast for an extra hour every day, who's you can't you're, you're not going to be paid for that because somebody else is already it's somebody else's job already.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The government the government kinda knows all of what it's saying though. Like yeah, the shortest commute in the world you can have is from your bedroom through the kitchen into into where you work. But but that, yeah. that's not a huge thing. like do you work your home do you work from home yourself, Mary?
10: I do, and have been since the start of. the... And it's wonderful. There's a huge amount of advantages, but not. I haven't saved a penny. Haven't you? And you are heating. You're, well, sorry, I've saved a penny in so far as I'm not paying for petrol, but I don't have. And you know, in Cork, we don't really. You'll get stuck yeah. in the tunnel, and you get stuck on the link, and you get it. But that's not every day, and it's I not. Know.
5: You know, Plus you're still heating the house while you're getting, there trying to work.
10: You still exactly, and actually. The company, I say, like the the tea, the coffee, the you know what I mean, the whole yeah. And now you know, a lot of companies obviously still have the buildings or whatever, and they're paying for them and things like that. But some companies have been able to cut down on this space. Yeah, you know, if they were fortunate, and will do into the future, I suppose, as they yeah. you know. They will monetize the advantages of having their staff working from home, I let me assure you. I'm not yeah. so sure to filter down to my paper.
5: To yeah, my in your, la- your own just circumstances, one last quick one. Like, yes. were you, did, did you move home because of COVID or were you always at home? No, no, purely because of COVID. And would you prefer to be going back?
10: Um, I can see, I don't want, I, I don't think I'm going back full time will ever yeah. happen. Again, I kind of think we, you know what I mean, and especially I suppose with the fact that now hybrid kind of working styles are yeah. becoming, the government is coming stronger in so far as employers have to well,
5: pretty well, much uh, employ lot, them now. A, yeah, a lot A lot of people taking up a new job where it could be partly done on a hybrid basis um, will we'll want that. Mary, thank you, Mary. Just the cost of working from home or the supposed savings of working from home I only did a month of it. We did the programme from Studio 1.5 for a month uh, in January 2021 when COVID was rampant, the second wave. And I I saved a couple of quid on petrol, but you were still heating the house because you're in January and it's cold. So the heating was on all the time to keep us warm at home. So they didn't have any saving there. Outdoor dining is back. I I was... I mean amused that you even have to give licences to extend outdoor dining like the rest of the world just seems to get on with it but we make a big story out of it but outdoor dining will continue through this summer in Cork City and it was so good last summer everything has been con- extended for another six months but Joan McCarthy from the Irish Wheelchair or Joan McCarthy rather from the Irish Wheelchair Association last year we did have one or two people talking about the accessibility of street dining. Have there been any improvements? Good morning.
11: Good morning. Um, Unfortunately, no, there hasn't been um, any improvements and that's what our worry is, I suppose, um, going forward. This is going to be, I think, a permanent part of um, how we live and how we socialise and we completely understand from a, a business point of view that, you know, it's the way to go. These businesses need to rec- recoup a lot of uh, um, lost revenue. Um, so we completely understand that. But it, people with disabilities um, and uh, parents with buggies and older people really need to be taken into consideration when um, there's um, outside dining happening and the pathways um are becoming just much more cluttered. Yeah,
5: I last summer I took it for granted on a Friday when go down and have my lunch in an outdoor place. But I was looking around it one day, and I'm thinking, how would you get a wheelchair in to sit opposite me if my friend's in a wheelchair? How do they get their wheelchair in?
11: Let alone get it out. Absolutely. Yeah, and there, there's two things to, I suppose, for us to be looking at. One is um, just as a pedestrian, um, but the other is as a consumer and how you actually access. It sounds like as if um, on the street dining would make things very accessible, but it doesn't. In a lot of cases, yeah. it might be down a step. The tables are very close to each other um, and there isn't actually the space for a wheelchair user as a consumer um, to be able to use these spaces in many yeah. cases.
5: Do you think, Joan, and because there's a whole lot of licensing involved, um, do, do you think that in order to operate in an outside space that businesses should need to comply with certain standards?
11: Absolutely, they should. Um, and and again, it's not even in some cases it is the, the fault of the businesses, and in other cases it's the fault of the the, the council. Um, so there really needs to be, um, I suppose, a review of the the standards in relation to outside dining. Yeah. Uh, oh. This means spaces that are being used are the, the measurements are really the absolute minimum. So when you're putting your um, dining furniture outside and you're using up that space, it's not taken into account the amount of extra space that's needed when somebody actually sits down and the chair is pulled out and the table is pulled out and there's bags on the ground and all of that encroaches on the space. And a lot of our cities and towns, um, our pathways are quite narrow anyway. So they don't lend themselves um, to outside dining. And I saw a picture up on Twitter yesterday um, and it was actually in Wexford somewhere. But like that, they had outside dining, but the pathway was very small and it was completely filled with a row of tables and chairs. Nobody would have been able to get by. People had to step out onto um, right. And actually a narrow road um, so, To get past So, so even if, you're if you're a wheelchair not, user or
5: yeah, Even if you're not using the facilities You still have to take go on a major manoeuvre To get around them
11: Absolutely And for an able-bodied person It might be a bit of an inconvenience to step down But for somebody who's a wheelchair user Or with a visual impairment To actually be stepping Or trying to get out onto the road To get back up it's just not. It's just not possible And it's not safe Okay
5: Okay, Joan, thank you. And today is also International Global Accessibility Awareness Day, so it's uh, an appropriate time to be talking about this. Joan Carthy, National Advocacy Manager for the Wheelchair Association. And it was brilliant last summer, and I look forward to it again this summer. Cork was fabulous last summer. Fabulous for me. Fabulous for me, who's got the Full use of all my faculties but not so fabulous for people in a wheelchair maybe or someone who was blind so it would be nice to talk to some of our providers around town some of our restaurants some of our pubs who will move out into the streets and we'll be delighted to see the street service what what accessibility preparations are you making love to hear from you. 0818 96 96 96
3: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM With the
1: Cork City Marathon Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
5: Yes, small local issues that that really engage people. We haven't had too many people ringing us here on the Opinion Line about the, the Piper's Wagon, but it is a big local story and it's interesting to see it come up in the Dáil and, and the Taoiseach effectively go head-to-head with the County Council and say, come on now lads, have a heart, because from listening to Victoria's story there in the 10 o'clock news, it sounds as if the County Council are going to dig their heels back in now against the t-shirt we see where that that piper's wagon it was there before me it was there before my father it was there before my mother it was there before your father and your mother it's been there since forever like and it's it's a very big issue in a very small place but you know what is going to happen um, the next local elections my friends never always look to the local elections particularly when dealing with local issues like this next local elections if if my calculations are correct are in 2023 or 2020, 2024. next local elections are in 2024 May 2024, two years from now and you know what, there's a sizable number of votes in Kinsale and I'd be minding my seat if I was a local county councillor by making sure that if the people of Kinsale are behind the Piper's wagon getting back in there and behind the Piper's funfair being able to do what they've done down there since God knows when I'd be inclined to listen to the people rather than listening to the suits in the planning department. Do you what I mean? Like? <laughs> and, of course, the Taoiseach, now prepared to say to the county council, listen, <laughs> cop on a small but no, boys. Because, of course, the Taoiseach knows that his own local representatives will be looking for their seats in the local elections in 2020. It all ties in. It all does tie in. Local issues also. This came in. We get this a couple of days ago. Looking into it. The pedestrian crossing at the C.U.H. would obviously be used by a lot of people who have impaired vision. Absolutely. Yes, it's one of the few major crossings in the city that doesn't have an auditory aid for crossing. You know, these beep, 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 beep that come up? It doesn't have one. It often means that people who travel to C.U.H., especially by bus, have to wait until some kind person assists them crossing. It's a ridiculous situation to be robbed of your independence and made so vulnerable at exactly the same time you've another issue on your mind. There seems to be no sense to this because it's a very wide road, it's dual carriageway, whereas other roads that are smaller in the city centre with a lot of easily seen visual cues, and, and it's easier to cross and they've auditory, these beep, 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 they're not out there. You would think outside a flipping hospital. Or people are going in with disabilities and they need walking aids and they need a lot of people going in with vision impaired, you would think every possible facility would be a place to help people cross the street into a hospital. There's no beep, beep, beep. We have um, gotten out to council to see what they have to say. So far, I don't think they've come back to us. But we will. We'll, we're, we're checking that out. But it's just an observation. You know. You, again, these are the things that you know. Someone like me who doesn't need these doesn't think about it. Same, I guess, with the uh, street dining. That the you on know, street Dining's fine for me, but not so fine for someone in a wheelchair. We need to start thinking more. I'm, I'm reminded again of the the words of my my my, my good friend Carol Carol Royce. Who always said to me, Pete, she says, you can work in my world. A world designed for me is no problem for you. But a world designed for you is a problem for me. And and that's a bit of wisdom that I took to heart when she said it to me here on the opinion line. Working from home, Kevin was saying petrol, parking, lunch, time. Not all savings are monetized. Petrol's pushing two euros a litre. If you're commuting a 50 kilometer round trip five days a week, plus parking costs, so that is going to add up. Pete then wonders, why is it all about monetization? Wi-Fi allows you to replace sitting in traffic with extra free time around the family. The month that I did at home, we did this show from Studio 1.5 for a month back in January 2021. And when I look back, just did a quick check, my utility bills were up because we were heating and we were both working from home. We were heating and more gas and stuff like that. They went up. Uh, the petrol and diesel bills came down a little bit. But we were also locked down at the time so that doesn't really count. Just on Dr Sheen and Hay Fever, we will, that there's no good line of communication through to her right now so we'll bring her back uh, on another day. Uh, we'll get a better connection and here's the opportunity For you, because as we come into the height of hay fever season, uh, your opportunity to put a question or two to Dr. Sheen, because I do want to spend some time talking to her about hay fever, the scourge that it can be for some people. So send us an email to opinion at 96fm.ie if there's anything in particular that you want to ask about hay fever, about your hay fever experience, as it were. Opinion at 96m.ie. Make it easy for us as well. Just mark your email, Hay Fever, and we'll pick it up and we'll reorganise uh, another slot with Dr. Sheehan. Now, I haven't been down there for quite some time. I was down there a few years ago. But if you know where Elfordstown is, outside Middleton, if you didn't know where it was and you're driving through this beautiful countryside, and you suddenly see these enormous satellite dishes. You'd, you'd wonder what's there, wouldn't you? Wait, it's our National Space Centre. And it's based at Alfredstown, just outside Middleton. Its proper name is Alfredstown Earth Station. And it's operated by the National Space Centre. And it's our only and most Western teleport Rory Fitzpatrick is the CEO and it's. Uh, I was down there a few years ago, Rory I was looking around and it was a lot less busy than it is now down there. Tell people about our space centre and about our wonderful facility at Alfredstown. What's its history? Good morning
12: Morning PJ um, Thanks for having me on uh, the, the history of Alfredstown, well originally um, if you wanted to telephone the the state's you had a satellite link from Goonhilly in the UK. And I used to take the signal up to the satellite and down to the States. And older listeners, my age group and older, would remember the time lag that you had when you were on the phone to America. And that was what they call latency. It was the time it took for the signal to get out to the satellite and back in. Um, and, And it was kind of a half a second or maybe almost a full second of delay um and at the time um the government uh, the governments in Europe were annoyed at the Brits because they were charging too much so they decided to set up uh, the European Telephone Satellite Company um which Eutelsat and that was set up purely to build a facility to take traffic from Europe to America and the best location in Europe for beaming stuff to America is Ireland uh, where the most westerly part of Europe Um, for uh, uh, Ireland is and then within Ireland Cork is the most southerly point so we can see better uh, for satellites and within the southerly region Cork has better infrastructure and within Cork Elfridstone has a a, a hill that faces south that falls away and has a big dip so it's a very quiet radio frequency spot Uh, and that's the same today as it was back in the 80s so it came online in eighty four and so it was built in, in probably a couple of days eighty one eighty two eighty three was built came online in eighty four and operated until um nearly two thousand ninety seven was when the fiber came across the Atlantic so it became obsolete then and we took it over in two thousand and ten and we've been um operating it as a teleport to beam stuff up and down the satellite since right um, so
5: so what what kind of work do you do there on a daily basis, Rory?
12: A lot of it, 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 like satellites, um, they need a ground station that has telecom infrastructure to connect to the internet. So when they're beaming stuff up and down, uh, you need to have dishes that send the signal up and that capture the signal coming back down, which is what we have on site. Now, uh, these dishes are mechanical, so they wear out and bearings go and all this kind of stuff. So we're we're constantly maintaining and fixing the dishes for our clients. And we have a lot of the big broadcasters, satellite operators and owners uh, in, in Europe and uh, some Americans as well on site. Um, right. The biggest shift in the last couple of years, really, is the changeover to low-orbit satellites from the geosynchronous satellites. Right. So just for people that wouldn't be aware, the... The uh, satellite TV, so Sky TV, for example, if they have Sky TV at home, they'll be pointing at 28.2 degrees east. And there's a satellite that sits, or there's a group of satellites that sit and float as the world is spinning. They stay 33,000 kilometers roughly out there and they float float and you beam the signal up and down. Now, the problem, that's the old uh, geos and the signal takes a long time to get out and back. So for internet and for voice, it's, it's difficult. The new satellites, which like SpaceX, Starlink and uh, Bezos, Kuiper and all these new ones, mm. they're, they're only 600 kilometers out. So it's almost instant. It feels like five, So uh, you can do voice and you can do everything else on them. Mm. Uh, and that's where our business is growing now. We're getting a lot of the low orbit um, satellite operators mm. on site.
5: So you doing business with the likes of Mr. Musk and, and, and Mr. Bezos and all those people?
12: Not personally, but with their companies, definitely, yeah.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, SpaceX is is interesting technology. You mentioned things like broadcasters and satellites. So, and this is a simplistic question, for example, Rory, last Saturday night I, probably with thousands of other people, watched the Eurovision Song Contest. The
12: Eurovision, of course, what a magnificent show, yeah. Yeah,
5: Great, great television show. And the communications hub that the Eurovision voting is, like, yeah would Alfred have been involved now in the bouncing of signals around for that well
12: what you 've got what 's been a huge seismic shift is if you look at, at the older generations, my generation and older, we would have been very much passive television um, users, so yes. we switched on the TV and we, we had a signal beamed to us, and we watched whatever was there. My children all watch as they're viewing. It's all TikTok, it's all um, Instagram, it's, yeah. it's, all, it's all dynamic media that's been delivered there and then. So you don't have any of the store-and-forward or blasting uh, broadcasting technology anymore. It's all point-to-point. Now, because of that, uh, there's been a massive shift in the way that content is delivered. So the really big guys... Now, you look at people like the Kardashians. The Kardashians have millions of, of viewers. They're effectively like a new broadcasting corporation... Uh, with 35 million viewers and when you compare that to RTE or to the BBC, like the BBC I don't know what they have, they have maybe 20 million viewers mm-hmm. uh, and the Kardashians have 35 or 40 million so so it, it, it's amazing the sudden seismic shift that's happened in the media and in the revenues that are coming through that and this is, this is reflecting right through the infrastructure so where we would have traditionally had broadcasters beaming stuff up to their satellites sitting in the single position that's on its way out. There's very, you know, They're finished, really. And all the new guys are part of the wireless infrastructure that we all use every day. So your mobile phone and your iPad and whatever your Wi-Fi connection is, is how you receive your media now. And, and Stone is a is a very important key part of that. But yeah. it's only a small piece.
5: Right, because so stuff is like, coming through your base all the time. Millions and millions yeah. of pieces of data. From yep. all sorts of different providers.
12: Yeah. So so, and it's interesting, and, and of course, like the whole thing with space at the moment is, it's just beginning to get going. Mm. Um, you know, like we're we're back at the Model T. Um, if you compare to the car industry, Correct, we're yeah. we're back at the Model T type yeah. of a scenario, where the really really exciting thing, and to be fair to to Musk, he he did. Landing the two rockets, uh, synchronous uh, the, the synchronous landing with the two rockets yeah. uh, about five years ago was a major moment for for humanity because it's the first time we've actually been able to operate like kind of Star Trek. You know, it, it, it was a major moment, yeah. and and within the next twenty years, you're going to have a human being on the moon uh, and on Mars, and and that's that's again a major game changer. People are going to go berserk because. If you look back at the 60s when they landed on the moon, um, every single product, there was, you know, if you had cornflakes, they had a space angle. If you had a car, it hit space fins. Everything had some kind of a space thing tied in. And when we land on Mars, it's going to be the same. You're going to have a frenzy where people will be dressing with spacey outfits, they'll be you know, it's, it's, it's going to be quite mad. Um, you you and, can,
5: you can has, see some guy landing on Mars can't you? And sets his feet on Mars for the very first time. And the first thing he does is send
12: a TikTok absolutely like, <laughs> first this, thing he does I, 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 the dish, the, so the big dish that we've done below the 32 meter antenna yeah I was
5: going to get to that Rory when I was down there and it was a few years ago now I was down remember sampling space food I, I, mm-hmm. for somebody, I, I, I remember, remember that yeah, I
12: remember right, yeah, the ice cream, yeah, ice cream yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah. but this enormous dish at that time was broken It's an, is it working yet
12: no, we have we're, we're in we're working with NASA at the moment um, on trying to refurb. They want to use it for Mars communications. So the, the, that dish is what they call a C band. So the, the for communicating using satellites and stuff, they break it up into frequency bands. So C band is a very long wave band. And it's very robust. It's very good for long-distance communication, but you need a really big dish to capture the signal. Mm. Uh, it's like effectively, it's like um, it's like a lens on a pair of glasses or a, or a magnifying glass. Mm. So that's that's all that it does is magnifies the signal and puts it down into the building, into the the systems that decode it. So. What's happening right now is for Mars Communications, obviously, we're going to need to communicate with these guys when they get to Mars. And to communicate with them, suddenly big dishes are back in vogue. And at the moment, now we have four or five different companies that are talking to us about refurbing that dish. And we'll do a deal with one of them. Um, over the next year, year and a half, and and we will hopefully have that as a Mars communications yeah. dish. It'll take a bit. it take exciting. a
5: bit more than a than a, a soldering iron and a, and a bottle of double D forty, I suspect. But
12: well, <laughs> do you know? Do you know what's funny is you spend as much as you like on these kind of things. Uh, we we've we've been told that it cost about two and a half million to get it back um, operational. Right. Which which considering it would cost thirty five million to build a new one, it's really really not a bad uh, investment and that's why we've guys interested in it at the moment. Um, but but it-
4: a lot can happen in the next 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
12: would be such a fantastic thing like if we can communicate to Mars and they land on Mars obviously you have a time delay because of the distance Yeah. so you are going to have uh, it's not going to be instant communication but saying that there's plans to have relay satellites in between Mars and Earth that will bounce the signal on um, and there's there's plans to have maybe a base on the moon that picks it up and carries yeah. it on so there's all this kind of stuff going on um,
5: It's all very exciting it, stuff isn't it?
12: It's it's fun like it it, it is you know at when people ask me what I do, I do the same as everyone else, where it's a normal business, where we have to deal with our clients, invoice the clients, do all the normal business day-to-day stuff. But at the same time, there is a lot of fun in some of the techie stuff that we're doing. Yeah. And, and it, is, it is a growth sector that's beginning to, to get a, a head of steam. Like Just to give you an idea of the numbers, right? When I started in this 10 years ago, there was 6,500 satellites, roughly. In space, and that was including half of them were American. A lot of them were spy satellites, but that was what you had. Elon Musk, on his own, has launched two thousand satellites today, so thereabouts, (laughs) and he's planning to put up twelve thousand or twenty thousand, depending which tweet you're listening to, right? But he's he's looking to put up a lot, Uh, so. And then you've got the, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Indians, the Russians. They're all planning their own systems. And you've got five or six American companies that are planning to do the same thing. So you could have 100,000 satellites in 10 years' time orbiting the, the, the Earth, bouncing signals wow. around. It, it it really is just mad how, how quickly it's, it's escalating. And it's a big land grab because Musk, like, he's been really, really smart in the fact that he's got his satellites into the prime position at about 500 miles out. And uh, uh, Besos is trying to come in below him. So he's trying to launch his satellites and get licensing to go inside uh, Elon Musk's ones, And Musk is trying to block him out at the moment. So, so there's this really, really big game of tests going on in space over who who controls effectively,
5: come here, um, and it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. It, yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, life, you know, Star Trek was you know about the Vulcans and the Federation, and the, you know the uh, here we have the Musk, the Musk's, and and the Bezos. Come here to me before I let you go. With all the stuff communicating and travelling through down there, all the various things coming through. Have you ever heard something, Rory, come out of a speaker, and you went? what the hell is that?
12: <laughs> the deep, well, it's interesting, the, there is strange signals that they've been picking up on the SETI, so we met Jill Tarter and um, she does the search for extraterrestrial life in the States, she runs a load of the big big old radio telescope and they have picked up strange signals um, from deep space that they, they don't know what they are They're, they seem to be not random uh, signals okay. but but they haven't been able to interpret them. So, so there is strange stuff. Now, it could be signals we've sent out 50 years ago that are, that are bouncing back to us. or They don't really know. But, but there is a lot of this stuff going on, and, and over the next 20 years, with the amount of, of stuff we have now listening and watching in space, it's going to be fascinating to see what we find.
5: Do you believe something will be found?
12: One day? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, it, it's a very hard thing to, to judge. Um, for us to think that we're the only people in the universe is arrogant. Um, certainly, if you go by the statistics, they reckon there should be many other civilizations out there. Um, but, but we've never seen or heard of one. Now, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of theories on that. One is that we're a toxic uh, globe that they stay away from, <laughs> which, which is possible. But, but the other one is that, is that they've either existed and disappeared before we arrived. Right. So it's a very, very hard thing to judge. Certainly, I, I would be open. It would be very exciting if we, if we did find that there was life in the universe somewhere else. Um, oh,
5: is there anybody out there?
12: Well, actually... How yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, did you mention yeah. it? How <laughs> no, did you mention it? And do they have a cork access? This is the main thing we need to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Rory,
5: a pleasure, and keep up the great work. Work that we don't actually realise is happening. Just a quick drive down the road. That's Rory Fitzpatrick, CEO of the National Space Centre down at Alfredstown. Drive down past Middleton. You'll you'll find it. Uh, your, your sat-nav will take you there. Just go and wonder at this these massive dishes that are down there. Um, I don't know if they open to the public for tours and stuff like that. Maybe they do. We'll find that out. But just to see what's going on and to have such incredible communication with space and the future happening 15 minutes drive from where I'm sitting. There's a little buzz about it, isn't there? 0818 96, 96, 96 on creches and provision of childcare. If the parents are not allowed to donate, here's a way they could help. Short-term solution, maybe enable them to help sell T-shirts for 50 euro each. Get them made somewhere for 2 euro to allow funds in legitimately. It's it's worth a shot. I think, you see, that's the problem. They are legally bound. They can't take money from anywhere. But it's a good idea. My nephew lives in Sweden. We got that one. PJ, creches only pay 10.50 an hour and they can't get the staff. No one wants to work there. You can see why, can't you? Uh, Mags, deeper things have changed in relation, relation to parent contributions since my now ten-year-old did the ekky. At the time, which is not that long ago, we paid 45 euro a month towards extras like arts materials. Yeah, Mags, that's completely outlawed now. They can't do it. That's the terms and conditions of getting the funding. That they can't take the couple of quid for the arts materials. And Billy says they don't make it easy. Not entirely sure what you mean, Billy. We were talking, uh, I'll do this in a minute, but we were talking yesterday yet again about the tunnel, the closures of the tunnel and people being caught by overheight trucks and all of that. We had a, a fairly long message from Anne, which I'll read out in a while, about when a truck blocks up the tunnel, why do cars already stuck inside in it have to suffer? Which is a good question. We'll get to it in a while.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.
3: Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your guide to nightlife
1: on Leaside
3: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment There's a celebration of Rory Gallagher's music with Jerry McAvoy's Band of Friends coming up at the Oliver Plunkett on Friday, September 2nd Tickets are now on sale from Ticketmaster.ie Access all areas U.S. singer Macy Gray comes to Cork this summer with a very special show at Cypress Avenue on June 14th. It's a must-see live experience, and you can get your tickets at cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition, or any live streaming events by emailing us on AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to
1: nightlife
3: on
5: side On Cork's 96fm. Anne was on. She said I was stuck. In the Jack Lynch Tunnel for over an hour. It gave me time to think what's wrong with the whole system. One, it's crazy that cars are stuck in the tunnel too. There should be a flow system, a counterflow system, so cars can go around the truck or something like that. There were two guards there just standing. One of them could have gone up to the roundabout and directed traffic. I think there should be someone around, not necessarily a guard, equipped with proper signage and alerts so the traffic could be directed, they say, assume, and is when something is blocking the tunnel. That you could do some kind of a contraflow and get the cars that are stuck inside it out of it, which is a, a fair point. I've never been caught in the tunnel at a time when there's an alert, so I don't know what it's like. There should be a divert point at or near the tunnel for people who ignore the height warning. They could still be fined and all that, but they wouldn't be blocking things up. You'd kind of have to be building new roads for that. I'm very taken, though I was very taken by Paul's voice message from yesterday, which I've knocked off my system now, but he said, and he seems to be in the system or in the business, he was saying, those alerts are very good. They're very handy. You know, you're too high, you're too high. But by the time you see those alerts as a trucker, it's too late. You can't get off the road. So that needs to be dealt with. 0818 96 96 96. The excitement this weekend for the end of the Premier League. It's going to be huge and everyone will be clung to their radios or their phones or their smart speakers on Sunday. Because Premier League Live is back for a special end of season show. Sunday, May 22nd. Not Saturday, now Sunday. Trevor and the team here from three... 96rim.ie, powered by Talk Sport, live coverage, commentary and interviews, all of the dramatic twists and turns from the final day of the Premier League. He's so excited about this. He's like a small boy in a sweet shop putting this together for Sunday, the final day of the Premier League for 2022 and such excitement. There's so much that can still happen. It's the Premier League Live Online with now stream live Premier League action. Then our sports or sports extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Streaming only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Being diagnosed with ADHD when you're an adult can be life-changing because having ADHD defines your life. But I guess until you know you have it you don't know why your life is different. Maeve Richardson, good morning.
9: Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
5: Delighted to do so. You were diagnosed at what age, Maeve?
8: So I was diagnosed this year um, during the first week of February. Right.
5: And coming up to that time, like, did it explain stuff for you?
13: It did. So... I myself already have a diagnosis for autism spectrum disorder and ADHD and autism tend to go hand in hand. Yeah. But I was diagnosed with autism when I was uh, seven years old. So, you know, the world of neurodiversity wasn't quite as explored. So those kind of links weren't as known at the time. So I started a new job. I'm the communications engagement officer in UC Students' Union. And, you know, student activism, extracurriculars are things I was always interested in. I was in the Scouts, everything like that. And I kind of thought to myself, oh, I can't really concentrate in school because I just want to do my extracurriculars the whole time. Um, But then even trying to do like extended projects with extracurriculars, I found quite difficult. So I started the new job in UCSU and... Things still weren't clicking quite into place. I still wasn't concentrating. It was still very difficult Mm. for me to, you know, get things done um, and be very efficient. And I kind of thought to myself, something's wrong here. This is my dream job and I'm still not doing things the way I should or want to. And it kind of clicked with me. I kind of started doing some researching. I talked to some friends. I talked to my doctor and it was kind of... Guess that I probably had ADHD, and with the autism, it would have made sense. Maybe, maybe, maybe
5: just put it into um, simple terms, Maeve. So you're sitting at your desk, like you said, doing your dream job, and you you open your desk, your your diary, and there's today's tasks, and there's what we're planning for for tomorrow. And because it's your dream job, you should be organised and and sorted, but you weren't. So describe what it, the feeling of sitting there in your dream job, but not able to, in your mind, pull it under control for yourself?
13: It was absolutely heartbreaking. The things, the problems I had in academia were the exact same here. I couldn't concentrate. You know, I, it's like I was, ha- I was hyperactive. I couldn't sit down. I was all over the place, running around, disorganised. Um, one way my ADHD would manifest itself was... Um, if I was overthinking or something, I'd start pacing up and down in a room. And, you know, that that was kind of handy in the world of online because it meant I could turn my camera off and do that. Yeah. But as well, it just didn't really work out. Or trying to sit down and type out a long email would take me forever because I'd be procrastinating it because I couldn't make myself sit down and concentrate.
5: Right. So you really were working yourself up into a tiz. And that exactly. made you worse and again. And
13: Exactly. And, you know, as well, another element of ADHD is, you know, you're more likely to make kind of erratic decisions. So, oh, instead of going to my, instead of doing the the email I should have been doing, oh, no, no, I'll go for a swim now instead. Just, you know, you make those kind of last minute, not the best decisions. And that was becoming more prevalent and it just needed to stop because before I was like, oh, I'm a student, it's fine. Um, I can get away with this. Students are, you know, we're meant to make mistakes. We're We're young, we're in our 20s, except this was just continuing and continuing to the point of, I was like, this is just not good enough. I can't live like this.
5: And the diagnosis came from whom?
13: So I was very lucky and very privileged to get my diagnosis through UC Student Health. And, you know, college mental health services aren't very well funded in this country, sadly. Um, You know, we only had so many, we've only so many doctors who can handle the 23,000 students in UCC. But I was very lucky to meet a GP there who was able to refer me to an occupational therapist. And I was able to get talking to the psychiatrist. And that took a couple of months, um, as it would in any case of getting a diagnosis. But I can't thank the amazing staff in UC Student Health, despite their under-resourcing and underfunding. They did absolutely amazing by me and were just so compassionate. Mm-hmm.
5: And the diagnosis then, obviously, it's followed by: Is it a treatment plan? Do you take a pill? What do you do?
13: So, in my case, I at first was put on a medication um, called Concerta. And it didn't have a very good effect on me. You know, there are side effects to any medication, but it sort of, it sent me kind of into a depressive episode and it just wasn't sitting well with me. Right. And we tried different dosages and it wasn't working. But at the same time, I was also going to occupational therapy where I was learning strategies about being organized, using reminders on my phone, how to regulate um, my hyperactive behavior, like having a fidget spinner, things like that, things to Mm -hmm. help me convert my energy. And as well, in the end, I got put on a different medication, which ends up working. And that's when I suppose the clouds lifted.
5: Yeah, yeah, the fidget spinner. I'm very familiar with fidget spinners because my my son is on the spectrum. And for years, he used a fidget spinner just to bring himself down a little bit. So I know exactly. Mm. So, So you're there with this book full of tasks all of which have to get done and you're doing your little spinning and that actually, that helps to focus your thoughts on what you need to be thinking about. Simple thing, isn't it?
13: Exactly, and something I've actually, my favourite thing is not a fidget spinner, Um, I actually have a deck of cards that I shuffle and so I sit there and shuffle the cards in one hand and I can type with the other and it just keeps me focused Wow! and it's absolutely brilliant and I love it. (laughs) But as well, you know, I have to acknowledge, you know, as is the same with nearly every part of our healthcare service in this on the island, uh, it's underfunded, and for people to try get ADHD diagnoses outside of you know, I was very lucky in the college system, it's very difficult and can be quite expensive if you do it privately, and it is extremely extremely difficult to get a diagnosis through the HSE. Yeah,
5: and the the change from pre-diagnosis to now, is that you can sit and do your dream job with your coping skills and with your medication, and life is good.
13: Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, I can't describe the change. Um, My colleagues as well, I have to give a shout out to my colleagues in UC students, Union. They were very empathetic and understanding of everything that was going on and they understood why I was the way I was. And that's an amazing thing about the student movement is that level of empathy. I never felt judged for having ADHD or having autism. But the difference is that I can concentrate. I can The most amazing thing for me is that, you know, it's like my mind was cluttered and someone says something to me now and being able to recall information is so much easier. And um, I think uh, one of my favorite things is I can get through my emails now um, a phrase we kind of developed here is clear inbox, clear mind um i have a clean bedroom and office for the first time in a long time and to be honest the biggest thing as well as just being able to be organized and have everything together is i'm happier as well i i'm not as down in the bogs or as irritated because i don't procrastinate as much and i don't you know Mm. (sighs) i'm just not as frustrated anymore i'm a happier person
3: (laughs) i have
5: a friend who had a, a Diagnosis, similar diagnosis, much later in life. And he said to me, I'm better company now.
13: That's exactly it. I might I'm more ple- more pleasant to be around. And you know, that's something that's kind of hard to admit. Oh, was I annoying before? But it's not. It's that you're a better version of yourself. Yeah. And it means that I'm not stressing the whole time. It means that I get on well. I didn't know life didn't have to be so miserable. Um, That's the big change.
5: Yeah, yeah. I'm delighted for you. I really am. I really am. Um, And and like you say, it's difficult to get a diagnosis. And you're right about UCC. And I, I have a friend who went through their disability services as part of her, which she needed them when she was in college. And she would say the same grossly underfunded, ridiculously under-resourced, but absolutely magnificent of what they do?
13: The government need to invest in third-level education in every sense. Uh, We're paying the highest fees in the EU. Our our services are all severely underfunded. Um, You know, staff are doing their absolute best. We have so many lecturing staff on precarious contracts. Everything to do with third-level funding needs to change so badly. And that's, I suppose, what being student union officers about, it is trying to make that monumental change so that third level funding does improve
5: And there you are now in a position better health position to do it, Uh, and thank you for being with us on The Opinion, and that's Mae Richardson now you've got a uh, meeting coming up at 11 Uh, she works with the student union at UCC, diagnosed in February with ADHD and that diagnosis, just knowing that this is why I am how I am life changing Yeah, I have a friend like that. I'd love to talk to anybody else uh, if that's happened. You know, you you get a diagnosis and, Jesus, I'm not crazy. I I just have this. What's that like? It must be, it's like, it was cathartic and life-changing for Maeve. I wonder what it's like for others. Uh, PG on Outdoor Dining, don't forget people with buggies and young children down the right-hand side of McCurtain Street. That's an absolute nightmare. And what about fire brigades, emergency services? What about, uh, God help us, says Patrick. They'd get in, they'd get in because they just throw chairs and tables aside to get in. But I do take your point, Patrick. Oh, 0818
3: 96 96 96. Can we just talk? Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM.
1: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
3: the lines are live.
1: And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96.
3: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: <laughs> on Cork's
5: 96FM. I threw back my head and I laughed when Owen Curry was on the news. Well, I went, uh, I went to Majorca, and and it was hot. So I'm trying to claim I've travelling short. You shouldn't be allowed to travel in the first place. It can get hot in parts of Spain. Breaking, flipping news. Now, okay, it's exceptionally hot for me. And I've been there in July. And August, when it gets up to 38, 39, 40, 41 degrees, sometimes in the middle of the day, but never in May. And that's very, very hot. <laughs> but the thoughts that someone might get onto their insurance company, come here, I'm out here now for two weeks, right, and just fierce, hot on together. like We never expected this, Mike. I mean, I'm claiming now, go we. go away. But they would, I suppose. 0818 96 96 96. Something else that caught my eye this morning in the newspapers. Um, I noticed this year, I've never noticed it before. Maybe it's a new one, maybe it's not. There are communions now on both Fridays and Saturdays. I didn't know there was this year. Maybe it's to make up for all the communions that got cancelled before, but that's a by the by. But do you know what's gone into wicked short supply? You cannot, for love, no money. Get a bouncy castle. And over the next couple of weeks, last two weeks in May now is peak communion season. And I think they're still wrapping up some confirmations. But you cannot get a bouncy castle for love of money. Or if you can, some fellas are charging more than 200 quid or 300 quid for a decent sized bouncy castle. They are in very short supply this May as people go back to heaven parties for communions and parties for confirmations very short supply 0818 96 96 96. now we were talking about celiac disease on the opinion line that's a week or so ago now marking celiac awareness week or celiac awareness day and it prompted a call from Tom uh, Tom you have had an experience and you'd like other listeners to know about it and be aware of it, good morning
14: come on how are you Good. What happened to you? Yeah, I had uh, Well, I was diagnosed with celiac celiac 15 years ago. So that was fine. I got my children diagnosed as well and they are are the same. They are two celiacs as well. So the diagnosis was fine and I was never told to every six months or every 12 months to get yourself checked out. So I just continued with the celiac um, diet and everything was good. And about two years ago, my bowel erupted on a a Thursday morning. So... I went to the a particular hospital by ambulance, and I stayed there for ten hours. I got X X-ray, and I was into how, how do you mean the erupted, Tom, what happened? Busted, Just inside me, busted wide open. I went into a I went into a terrible hot sweat, and I mean water pouring off me for about three, four minutes. Then I went into a cold sweat and shivering, and I called an ambulance. I, you know, I was under cold, and I was stressed, distressed, and yeah, I called you. an ambulance. I went in. I was, I was in severe pain, yeah, I was in severe pain. So I called an ambulance and I went to a certain hospital and uh, saw me straight away in triage and I waited about 10 hours then to be seen again. I was seen again, I was given an x-ray and uh, a particular doctor sent me home with a prescription. Mm. So I said, listen, I said, I'm worse now than I came in. And he said, well, Mr. Bowen, he says, well, after um, checking you out and we gave you a prescription and our advice is to go to the chemist. So I said, okay, so I rang my sister, she checked me, I went home, went into bed, didn't bother going for the prescription, and I was inside in bed half an hour, and she woke me, she said, you have to get up. She said, there's another ambulance on the way. So within, we'd say within 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I was uh, shifted by ambulance into a particular hospital. Well, no, who called, the doctor, that, who called that
5: ambulance, Tom?
14: The, the region is, sorry, the, the particular hospital sent the ambulance out. So obviously, on the changeover in the morning, somebody spotted something and said, you want to get him back in here?
5: Right.
14: So within 20 minutes, I was back in and signed a piece of paper to say, I'm getting an operation. So I got the operation and basically, I was out of it for two or three days. And when I came around, I was on medicine and I was out of the hospital after five days and I was in respite then after that. Okay. I was called back to the hospital, which I thought was to look and check on the, the procedure that they'd done for me and uh, they inform me that I have cancer, that I have bowel cancer. Oh. So i got had bowel cancer now for the two, last... Um, I'm over bowel cancer now the last six months, okay. and I had it for two years. No, I got excellent treatment, okay. absolutely excellent treatment. During the COVID, there wasn't a, an appointment cancelled, nothing, I got excellent treatment, in, and I was in the public. Okay. I wasn't private, I got excellent okay. treatment. So I'm, basically, I'm ringing to tell your... your Yes, you know, That they need, they need to go away and they need to get an internal examination done every six months, at least once a year. If they, have, if had they I, have celiac, yeah? If they have celiac, yeah. Because if I was told that information, the possibility is I wouldn't have gas cancer. They would have spotted something every year, or maybe two years might have passed, and they might have, ten years could have passed, and they might have spotted something, and that that would have saved me. Like when my boat opened and I was taken to the hospital, They took about 50 centimetres of my um, my bowel. Right. It sent that away, analysed it, brought me back, told me I had cancer. So basically, I'm saying, you know, we need to go here and we need to get ourselves checked out once a year. Right,
5: right. That's interesting now because I would never have heard that, that, you know, celiacs would be would have a, a pro, be prone to developing bowel cancer. I didn't know that.
14: Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it either. I didn't know it either. Like, yeah. uh, I didn't know it either. So I was told inside, there. Uh, like, he said, did anyone tell you, Tom, you need to go and get checked out every 12 months? I said, no. Yeah. He said, you'll see like a long time. I said, I am, I am. And he said, I stick to the diet, I said. It's an expensive diet, I said, but I stick to it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, no, you should have been getting checked out every 12 months Tom." Right. So he said, unfortunately, you know, you have cancer, but he said, you will have to get checked out every 12 months. Right.
5: So even yeah. now that yeah, so... You, you're you you sorted now with the cancer. Thankfully, they were able to um, to deal with it. But God. you'll have to be checked. And what about your kids, Tom? Do they have to be checked frequently too yeah. now?
14: Well, they didn't know that either until I told them. Like I have a daughter living in Spain, and I have a son who travels the world as a chef. And I told him, well, no matter what part of the world you're on at some stage, once a year, you'll have to go in and get checked in. You know. Okay. So, Tom, so it's just it's just sad, it's solid information.
5: T- Tom, thank you very much for that. That's not one that I'd certainly ever heard before. Fergal said he had read it um, somewhere, uh, researching celiac for the programme, but I'd certainly have never, never heard it. Thank you for that. And I'm glad you're back to, to good health, uh, Tom. That's Tom Bowen. Uh, 0818 96 96 96, uh, A lesson, I guess. A I'm not one to, I can't give medical advice on this programme. I'm not allowed to give medical advice. I'm even a doctor, so I can't give. But if you have celiac, you should be getting checked out. Ask your doctor about it. Pick up the phone to your doctor or your celiac clinic or wherever you go. Get that checked. Thanks, Tom. 0818 96 96 96 on outdoor dining. Bernie. Okay. I would love if the outdoor dining was scrapped, says Bernie. Our city is littered with tables and chairs. It's untidy and hard to navigate. Actually, I don't have a problem with those places that always had it, because it suited them, and suited the streetscape. But the explosion in it just isn't on. I had no problem with it as an emergency measure during the pandemic, but surely the emergency is over. Okay. I I, I can't agree with you, Bernie. I was delighted to see it. I think it's brilliant I think it makes us European it makes us modern and we get a beautiful bit of weather in the summer it's so lovely to sit out with your fish and chips or whatever you're having Um, and who cares if we didn't have it before we have it now I like it Bernie says it's in tidy and yeah fine for places that always had it grand that was part of their thing and that's all very well but for people who just did as an emergency measure and now want to continue doing it, Bernie says no. The emergency is over. Go back inside. I'd love to know what you think. 0818 96,
3: 96, 96. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM
1: with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM.
5: Pat Buckley TD, Sinn Féin TD, Pat Buckley from East Cork was on to ask us to remind you there is a public meeting. Next Monday, seven thirty, at Middleton in the Middleton Park Hotel, regarding the latest steps in the Save the Onakura campaign, uh, Save Onakura campaign. Um, we know we've been following it since last summer, uh, and it's it's not good for them at the moment because the minister now has washed her hands and and refused to get involved, uh, but the families and the campaigners are still driving on with their insistence that the place must stay open meeting next Monday night at Middleton Park Hotel 7.30 thanks Pat for that also in response to Maeve who was talking about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult just last, just earlier this year, actually Maeve Richardson from UCC Students Union I can relate to that was diagnosed at 43 as being on the autism spectrum Understand excuse me that's understanding yourself and your life is life changing. Understanding the why. I can now help myself. There's no mystery now as to what's wrong with me, inverted commas anymore. I'm not an alcoholic or someone with an eating disorder. I don't suffer with depression or anxiety. I haven't OCD. I'm not emotionally unstable. Everything in my whole life just falls under the wool umbrella i'm autistic thanks for that 0818 96 96 96. few responses coming into bernie i'll get to them but emily odriscoll has contacted us from west cork emily good morning you're trying to set up uh, a special education needs school in west cork in clon good morning
9: good morning how are you
5: good Tell me about what's needed.
9: Um, basically, we need a special education school in West Cork um, to cater for all kids in the West Cork area. Mm. So it wouldn't just be for say kids with autism, it would be kids that have any kind of extra need or learning difficulty, things like that.
5: Okay. What's your own interest in this? and um, we have a seven and a half year old
9: little girl with autism okay. so now we're very lucky with maria where she is in the autism unit in the graves school and they are fantastic right. we're just delighted we're smitten but we're one of very few that can say that we have a place close to our home
5: and if she hadn't had that place where would she have to go to school
9: it more than likely would have been somewhere up in, up close to the city like St. Mary's um, or out to Balancholic, places like that. Right. So there's, like I know that there's a few kids that would travel from Bantry up to those schools. That's crazy. And it means being realistic that, like, there's a couple of kids now they can only manage, we say, two hours in school. They're travelling two and a half hours up, going to school for two hours and then two and a half hours one.
5: So they're coming from the, if you want, the back end of West Cork to school in the morning, and then back into West Cork again in the afternoon in a bus. Yeah. Every day? Yeah, every day. Six and, and seven And it's
9: not olds. just, yeah, these could be as young as four-year-olds. Oh, God. Three-year-olds going to the early intervention unit. And it means that being realistic, it's not just a straight run-up. You know, there might be Five or six stops on the way. Yeah, These might be back roads, they might be an hour out of the way. And it just means being realistic that these kids spend more time travelling than they actually do getting an education.
5: Yeah, because we're thinking of a kid just pick a, pay- a place oh, off the top of my head, say Andragal. Yeah. You know, a child from Adrigal will say, um, up to the edge of the city, That's that's some serious travelling, Emily.
9: Yeah and then you're talking about all the stops along the way you're Oof. talking about you know a stuffy taxi or a stuffy bus and like being realistic some of these kids spend longer travelling than they actually do receiving an education
5: yeah now you've set up a group in Tonaghilty to campaign for a school in West Cork
9: yeah um now originally about a year ago I set up um, a support group Basically, for anyone in the West Cork area who has a child on the spectrum, and it came up that you know one of the main issues was school education. And like I said, we're very lucky because we're one of the few that actually have a place. Yeah. I don't even want to think of what's going to happen, Maria, really when it comes to secondary school.
15: Yeah.
9: Like that is the most daunting thought that you could think. What's going to happen, with my child?
5: Now think about the comparison here, Emily. You know I'm I'm familiar with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about the comparison. She's what, seven? Yeah. Seven. And you're now worrying about what'll happen when she yeah. has to go to secondary school. Now, if it wasn't for her autism, at seven, you'd have that school picked, chosen. Oh yeah. And her name down.
9: Yeah. It would be the closest school to us, but obviously, you know, the best yeah. Extra and all that kind of thing but you wouldn't have to think of all these extra fears and all these extra thoughts you wouldn't have to worry okay you know if she goes here now how long will it take us to get her there including traffic yes. what kind of form is she actually going to be in when she gets to school like there's four year olds doing this on a daily basis and God loves them like a four year old without any extra need they're after an hour they're exhausted. Yeah. You know, not a mind travelling that far and then having to, you know, kind of regulate themselves.
5: Have you identified a place where a school might be put?
9: The middle ground for all of West Cork would be Domanway.
5: Right.
9: Um that's simply because we kind of took into consideration the distance between in area and Bantry. The yeah. middle ground would be
5: Yeah, yeah,
9: that's so. It's kind of fair for all.
5: Yeah, yeah. It's about it's about about what halfway between in the Shannon and anywhere really.
9: Yeah, yeah. You know, so we're just uh, we're trying and we're hoping against all odds that. Like,
5: Like, about how many families are we looking at here, Emily? That are that are.
9: Oh, like I say, we could easily fill a school that can cater for 1,000 kids. Get away. Yeah, because, like, if you think of not just kids that have been diagnosed with autism, kids that have been diagnosed with intellectual disabilities, Down syndrome, you know, all these extra needs. Mm. You know, like, mainstream schools can't always cope with that. No. And you need dedicated staff. Like like I said above, we're quite happy where we are because you see they want to be there. Mm. They genuinely care. That's what you need. And you don't want to have this fear of, okay, you know, if there's not a place there for her next year, what's going to happen?
5: Yeah. And you're, face, you're facing that in a couple of years.
9: Yeah. Mm. You know, I'm being realistic. There's parents there that are facing it now for small little kids. You know, like, life is so hard when you have an extra need yeah like it shouldn't be hard when it comes to getting an education yeah you know as a parent you expect to fight for things for your kids but you don't expect to have to keep fighting for their basic rights
5: fair point emily if anybody wants to contact your group and support support you where can how can they do that
9: we have um, an Instagram and a Facebook page. It's West Cork underscore Special underscore School. Okay. And our email address then is West Cork Special School at gmail All
5: right. Listen, we'll talk again. I'd say because this is a campaign that uh, you've just started and looking to the future in West Cork. Thank you, Emily O'Driscoll. Uh, West Cork Special School at gmail.com. West Cork underscore special underscore school on social media. The need, the need for a special school, special needs school in West Cork as a group have started to promote it. 0818 96, 96 96 Now, I read Bernie's comment about outdoor dining. She was saying that she'd like it to be scrapped because the city is littered with tables and chairs and she said it's untidy looking and hard to navigate. Um, she doesn't have a problem with the places that always had it but the explosion in it during Covid times just wasn't on I had no time no problem with it as an emergency but that emergency's over now Bernie subsequently got back onto us and said I just want to add to my last comment I have weak and aching muscles and trying to get up and down onto the footpaths is painful people with disabilities are not being taken into account at all and Bernie I'm with you completely there Um, uh, you do see a lot of street dining that isn't disability friendly or isn't buggy friendly or that people have to go around make a big loop around it to get around it so thanks for that Kate says I wonder is it possible to put a wooden ramp on one side of the street where the wheelchairs can go up and down to keep the outdoor dining to the other side of the street yeah I think it all depends on where the outdoor dining is Rural and urban areas in particular are very different. Where I live there was an increase in noise after the smoking ban. With the outdoor dining there was an increase in rats. Outdoor dining works in some areas, but not in others. Some publicans are also not taking their area into consideration. O eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. It's back for the summer, they had to license it again. That makes me laugh like that. They had to license it again for the summer but it's back for the summer all those and again I love it, I have to say I do but those are the concerns it's not disability accessible it's not accessible for wheelchairs it's not properly accessible if you have a visual impairment because you can't see where you're going so anyone have any thoughts? 0818 96
3: 96 96. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register
3: at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96FM. It's yeah, Just a follow-on
5: there from Emily in West Cork um, campaigning for the secondary school for special kids. Just a note here coming in. Uh, school Cara is a great school, especially for pupils aged 4 to 12 who have a diagnosis of both autism spectrum disorder and an intellectual disability in the mild to moderate range. We've talked about Skullcara before many times, well familiar with the work, great place. They had a break-in in in April and a couple of thousand euro worth of bikes and trikes were vandalised. Middleton Bike Project and West Cork Motorcycle Club are going to hold a bike run to fundraise to replace the damaged stuff. The Leaving Dunn stores Bellevillan at half nine on June the 11th. They're going to Mallow, for Moy and over the mountainy back roads back to Cara School. There's a GoFundMe in operation, fundraising for Cara Junior School. And the relatives of the kids would love to particularly thank Councillor Ted Tynan, who has donated €500 euro from his ward fund. Good man, Ted. And we'll be talking on Friday, tomorrow, God, Friday again, tomorrow, to Colette, uh, the principal of Cara, uh, about that uh, tomorrow on the programme. just wanted to bring it to your attention in advance. 0818 96 96 96. Victoria, you had an experience at the weekend. You, you found yourself in an ambulance, as it were. Thankfully, you've made a good recovery. But you noticed a few things.
15: Oh, I I did. Uh, First of all, I must tell you, the paramedics are amazing. Mm. It started off, my GP insisted I go in the ambulance because she's wonderful too. Got in the ambulance, they do everything right. They do the ECGs and the blood pressure and they give you um, pain relief and everything else that I had to have, loads of injections. I wasted about half an hour for them, which wasn't too bad. Mm. And they sat with me for five or six hours and uh, doing nothing because they said they're not allowed to give all the forms and everything that and information I've given them in the ambulance. Mm. Uh, they're not allowed to hand it to a nurse. They have to hand it to the admissions department, which is in another room. So, but they only they only have one person there, and they have about you know a thousand people mulling around waiting to be admitted.
5: So they were waiting to formally do the handover to the hospital and until such time as they were able to do that they had to wait with you
15: that's right they said they are nannies they have to just sit there and babysit for the day and they hate doing it because they said we we should be on the road doing attending car accidents and heart attacks and strokes and things and not with somebody who is managing to sit in a chair and has got the pain relief and everything, and she's fine, you know? Mm. And I noticed looking through the window, there were four ambulances parked outside, and they were all the the people, you know, the paramedics, were all talking for the day to themselves while they waited. Mm.
5: What time of the day or night was this, Victoria?
15: Um, Well, it was Saturday during the day. Tremble to think what the night was like. This was like from 12 o'clock until, I think... At quarter to seven that evening, I walked out, and uh, 50 euros later in a taxi, I arrived home.
5: You hadn't been seen at that stage? No, huh?
15: but I had been admitted. That the paramedics had left, and they admitted me about um, quarter to six. Right. And then they left to go and work, you know, yeah. and unless their shift was up. But... Um, and as I said, the paramedics were wonderful. My GP was wonderful. Got you know, got me in the ambulance in time and everything. But I just felt one, once you got there, there were all these people and one or two nurses walking around looking, you know, frazzled. And um, it it was so ridiculous. What 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 they need is one nurse there, as the paramedic said, to take all the information from the ambulances they mm. come, yep. and they mind. Um, half a dozen people as opposed to just one person you know
5: yeah it's bizarre situation there you were like you said well enough to walk out of the ambulance what what was troubling you was under control but you still wanted to see a doctor but the paramedics cannot they cannot leave because they haven't formally handed you over as it were
15: that that's that's exactly it in a nutshell And the bizarre thing is that I came home and I'm feeling much better, thank goodness, and saw the doctor again and everything. And we have things under control. But at quarter past ten at night, the phone rings and we can't find you in the hospital. The doctor now would like to see you.
5: (laughs) After you got a taxi home at 7 p.m.
15: Yeah. So I said, well, I've got a bottle of wine open. (laughs) There's no way he's going to see me. So there you are. Wow. But I just thought it was such a shame. It's a waste of money. You know, these people are trained and their training is for for perhaps one or two calls a day, you know. Yeah. Whereas they could be flying around the country sorting everybody out.
5: Yeah. Like you're you're probably thinking there could be a car accident or a house fire or somebody seriously ill and, and here are these two highly skilled personnel stuck minding you.
15: Exactly. Well, they said, um, this lovely paramedic there, she said to me, I just feel I'm a babysitter during the day and I love my work, but I get very little time to actually do what I do best, you know? Yeah. So, so there you are. I just thought I'd let you know, and hopefully somebody in the HSE high up in a big office and a shiny suit is listening to this and can perhaps change it, you know?
5: Well, we will have to ask them their side of the story, but I do know that that is practice, that the paramedics cannot take the ambulance away we've I've talked with this with them before they can't take the ambulance away until they've done a formal handover or if they've had to take a trolley out of the ambulance they can't move until they get the trolley back it's a constant yes. hold up
15: but you know most of the people there with them were not on trolleys they were sitting in chairs yeah um there were two trolleys i only saw two and the, the people were very sick and they were dealt with you do get seen to you know mm. yeah but there was one poor woman there with a little girl of three. Um, she read Peppa Pig. We all listened to Peppa Pig for about four hours. The poor woman was hoarse, you know, <laughs> and trying to keep the child amused.
5: <laughs> well, Victoria, I'm glad you're better.
15: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, but I just thought I'd have a moan for the sake of the nation, if you know what I mean.
5: <laughs> oh, listen, thank you so much <laughs> for the call. You, you've given me a laugh as well as telling a serious story. So thank you for that.
15: Bye-bye, PJ, and thanks for listening to me.
5: Thanks, Victoria. We have contacted the hospital in question uh, to get their side of the story. We haven't heard anything back so far, but the admissions system in general seems a bit bonkers, that these two highly skilled paramedics who brought Victoria uh, to the hospital to be seen and they've They've got to sit there with her then until she's formally signed over. The other thing that happens is that if the ambulance comes and you have to be on the trolley, now Victoria walked out of the ambulance, but if you have to be on the stretcher that's in the ambulance, the other crack that goes on is that until such time as they get that back, they can't leave. So you might be brought into the ED on that trolley out of the ambulance. You would think, would you not, that there'd be another one sitting in a bay or in a storage area that they'd just take and put into the ambulance and drive away and about your business. But no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of things medical, it is World Family Doctor Day today. I heard this early this morning. Today is World Family Doctor Day and time to treasure uh, our family doctor's Those of us lucky enough to have one Because as we heard the other morning From Mary Kate It's proving very difficult for her To get signed up with a family doctor We're working on it behind the scenes for her And she'll be okay But Thanks to the great Nick Flynn But if you have a family doctor And they're good to you And you've had them for a long time Today is the day to treasure them most
1: The Giving for Living Radiothon May 26-28 Only
5: on Cork's 96FM I'll be there Yeah, this day, next week One week from now We will be right in the thick of it And day one Of the Cork's 96FM Giving for living ready Thun Kicks off May 26th Runs to 28th Raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. It's great to be back doing it again, and we need your help to make it the great success it has always been. The coffee breaks are back. We weren't able to do that the last couple of years. We were not able to do anything in 2020, and we were reduced last year in the capacity of the coffee breaks we can do. They're back this year. So if you have a coffee break to do at home or at work or whatever. Also, you can fill up a change collector box. Grab a box, grab a tin, grab a bucket, fill it up with change. And on Friday, tomorrow week, we have the Jersey Day, Friday May 27th, where you're Jersey to work or to school or to home. There are so many ways that you can help the Corks 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Go to 96FM.ie. You get loads more ideas there. Starts 6 a.m. Thursday, May 26th, this day week only on Cork's 96FM. The countdown is well and truly on. I want to go for our last bit of business today to morade Hi Moiraid, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How Mauraid. are you? Good. This is Moraid Collier and you are an interior designer and you believe Moiraid that we should change our designs according to the seasons of the year.
0: Well, it's, yes, but it's actually matching your own uh, interior des- design core personality to the season. So I'm not saying you design every season that comes along. Right. You just find the season that matches you. I see. And then you work, everything follows from that.
5: So if you'd because be a summer season. person or a spring person, then design your interior d- uh, yeah. that way.
0: Yeah, because yeah, because each, each season has... Um, like its own little energy and vibe and personality and color palette and then everything follows from that from the paint you put on the walls to your furniture you buy to the textures or materials you use in the house because you resonate with that energy so it'll make you happy in your home and it's based around sort of science and color psychology but you know I'm just trying to Make it accessible and so that people can understand right. and use it themselves. And so I, I'm very much confidence. a late
5: spring into summer person. This from from now on, okay. the next the next say six weeks, are my favourite time of the whole year. Okay. So how okay. would I design my home to reflect that in the dull days of winter? Say.
0: Okay. Well. Um, well, first of all, you want to start with uh, the feeling you want to like. You sort of say would your core personality or your primary personality would it be more spring or would it be more summer? If you were spring you would be bright and lively and like uh, light open spaces and light materials but if you're summer you're more understated or poised or graceful so you choose which one that uh, feels more you or that you can relate to and uh, so for instance if you are spring then you'd like lots of natural light, Mm -hmm. reflective surfaces, Mm -hmm. like sentimental displays, delicate colors, sparkling shine, and you'd all be about it being joyful and fresh. So, but if you were um, summer, then it's more uh, elegant, maybe fine art furniture, curved shapes, quality fabrics. Muted colors, so there is a difference. So you decide which one um, that yeah. it, that relates to you. Sort of more on a core business. and that's why I start with the feeling. What do you want to? What makes you happy in your home? You know, if a, if you say your spring, sort of summer, but if you want your home to be happy and welcoming, that's different for a spring person and yeah. for a summer person. Yeah. Because the spring person will all be about, you know, you know, being joyful and active and welcoming yeah. people in, whereas a summer person will be like everything would be just so and everything would be thought about and it would be welcoming from that point of view. Yeah. Def- so that's def- what it's about, you kind of yeah.
5: and, and, and the science behind this then, what's it based upon?
0: It's based on our um on colour psychology and our um our emotive response to different colours because, you know, and our colour association. Um, and also, not to get too sciencey, but also the wavelengths of different colours, like, for instance, green is more, uh, because of its particular band and where it fits on the spectrum and the wavelength, it's more easy to look at because it's, you know, the uh, colour of nature. So it's easier on the
1: eye,
0: yeah. whereas, say, Whereas rage can be more, can sometimes feel more aggressive. So, and, you know, and uh, it can get this sort of blood pressure up a bit. So um, that's how, uh, that's where a very, very simplified version of where the science behind it comes from um, and the color psychology and what we associate with different colors. You know, like it's like we associate yellow and black as danger because it's the it's wasps. Yeah. Whereas on their own, they might mean something different.
5: There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. you have an so, event. You have an event coming up at the end of May that you want to tell us about.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It's on uh, on Saturday, May 28th, as uh, on the Riverlea Hotel. It's at half nine, to half twelve, and it's teaching people to find their own. Um, core interior design personality based on this uh, approach, like using the seasons to identify um, what they like and then giving them the confidence to uh, use it in their own home.
4: Mm.
0: And it's going to be kind of old school. There's no screens or PowerPoints because I think people are exhausted from that. So it's very interactive. It's going to be an experience and very indulgent. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yes,
5: and how can people do they need tickets?
0: Yeah, you can go on to my Instagram or Facebook page and there's a link uh, to uh, the Eventbrite tickets and my Instagram and Facebook is Maury Collier Interiors. Okay.
5: Yeah, coming back to what you said about spring, I'm just thinking there while you're <clears throat> talking. We, yeah. and there's there's clearly no accident in this. My, my, myself and my missus are both love- the spring, and we 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 redid our kitchen in 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 2018 at the back of the house, and we put in a load of new windows and doors. And literally from the start of spring, those doors are flung open to let the outside yeah. in. But even yeah. in even in the height of yeah. winter, that room, because of the yeah. way it's faced, is still bright and still light and still cheery.
0: Yeah. Well, exactly, because as that's that's the very first thing that um, a spring room has and a spring room personality has is their love of natural light. So, you know, you're obviously, that's your dominant season is spring because you both put in those big windows because you want to to see the light. You want natural light as opposed to artificial light and you want that connection with the outside. That's what makes you happy.
5: After the long, dark winter, the the joy of the spring arriving back yeah, that's that, 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 that that would have us down to a tee. So it's uh, Maureen Connier Interiors on Facebook or on Instagram and the event, and that I'm sure the links are there to go to the event at the Riverlea on the 28th of May. Thanks, Maureen. So definitely, we're definitely spring people in Coogan Terrace. John says, I'm putting on my interior design hat. Uh, okay. I appreciate what she's saying. I can add to it, though. If you change your paint or cushions or drapes and other accessories between summer and winter it makes a big difference to your mentality. John, I would agree totally there. Because the missus has bags of cushions in the attic and around the house and she changes the cushions according to the seasons. And I don't know what she'd be doing but it works. Dee says, Victoria made me smile but that system hasn't changed. Five years ago my son had a bad injury He was sitting in the ambulance outside the hospital doors. It's not the staff's fault, but it is such a waste of time and resources, and something needs to change. Yeah, that's what Victoria was bringing to our attention, this idea that the ambulance is done with you. They've done all they can for you. They've done their brilliant work with you. But they can't let you go, because they have to sign you in. Oh... That's it, the programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced from researched by Fergal Barry, Friday tomorrow. See you then, just after nine.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork
1: City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.